Well, amen. Happy Easter, everybody. Good to see you. So glad you came to be with us today. And thank you, all of you who sang, all of you who played instruments, all of you who rang bells, all of you who made breakfast. What am I leaving out? Thank you so much for everything you did today to make such a wonderful celebration happen. It's Easter Sunday in America. That's a sweet tradition. And here we are on a warm spring morning, right on the cusp of Mayflowers bursting open in Michigan. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. We have love in our house. We have gatherings with children. We have young and old together. Some of us have new clothes. Nolan and I broke out our old bow ties. We're in celebration mode today. Amen. Out on Bittersweet Farm, Lois is wearing the apron. We love it when Lois wears the apron. That means good things are going to happen, new recipes and old favorites. So Easter is this time of celebration. It's this time of pageantry. It's this time of reunion. It's this time of music and drama and dance and accordion and song. It's a time of a warm tradition and a wholesome good. It's a bright holiday, warm to the center, warm to the core. And so we love it. And if you close your eyes, on Easter Sunday. It almost seems like all is right with the world. It is Resurrection Sunday today. So on Easter, this is what happens. Millions of Christians around the world, think of it, millions of Christians around the world celebrate the resurrection of a man whose name was Jesus Christ. God, in human form, who was unjustly crucified, rose from the dead. If you believe it or not, the claim that Jesus rose from, the, rose from the dead is on the very face of it the grandest claim any of any religion, anywhere, anytime. Even if you don't believe it, you have to admit the claim to rise from the dead is the greatest religious claim that ever happened in the world. And it's a demanding claim. If it happened, it puts demands on us. It's a staggering claim. It's a centering claim. If it's not true, if Jesus isn't alive, then it discredits all of Christianity, and all of it is just a kind of a cruel hoax. But if it is true, then it demands the loyalty of every man and every woman on earth. It arrests our attention. It demands our loyalty. It inspires our devotion. I imagine that's why some of you are here today, because you believe that Jesus Christ really is alive. It's interesting, anybody really could found a religion. It wouldn't be that hard. You know, you'd have this ethical teaching, you'd have some kind of moral teaching, you'd have some kind of unique thing that you would teach. Maybe you could lead an exemplary life or you could do things that could do philanthropic good works and things like that. Maybe you could gather a following. It wouldn't be maybe all that hard to start a religion. And you might even be so devoted to that or so sincere that you might even die for the religion that you started or get other people to die for the religion that you started. But could you rise again? Could you rise again? You could start a religion. You could gather adherence to the religion. You could die for your religion. You could get other people to die for your religion. But if you could live again, that would make what you say you believe quite unique, wouldn't it? Folks, that's what Jesus Christ did. He died, and he, and he, do you understand? He called his resurrection ahead of time, and then he did it. 
He said he would rise again, and then he rose again. Now, you think about that just for a minute. In the, the Old Testament teaches that there would be a resurrection of the Messiah. Jesus himself said it. And it's a staggering claim. It, again, if it's true, it's a demanding, it's a centering truth, it's a life-altering truth, it's a, wor- a truth worth living for, it's a truth worth dying for, it's more than just a nice tradition, it's something that human beings have to come face-to-face with and think about. And if you notice this, this is demonstrably true, too. You can prove this in history, whether or not you even believe it's true, you can prove in history that when people believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it has transformed millions of people's lives night and day. It's delivered people from the most amazing addictions. It's delivered people from the most amazing guilt. When people believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it's had a transformational effect on millions of people. In the house today, we get dozens and dozens of you, regular common folks like us, stand up and say, when I believed that Jesus Christ came to life, it changed my life. It transformed my life. Lee Strobel is a guy, he worked for a newspaper. Maybe you've heard of him a few years ago. Working for a newspaper in Chicago, a major newspaper, he was an investigative reporter. And so he had a real good indicator when things weren't true and when people made claims that weren't true. And one day his wife came home and started making claims that he didn't think were true. His wife, who before this had been a perfectly normal person, came home and started saying that she believed that Jesus Christ of Nazareth died and rose again and she was going to follow him and he thought oh no this is the worst thing that could ever happen to a man now I'm going to be married to some religious fruitcake you know some religious you know sexually repressed prude this is not going to be good this is what not what I wanted in a wife And so he decided that he would take his skills in law, and he decided that he would take his skills in newspaper work and he would discredit the claims of Christianity of course, you know how that worked out, right? Lee Strobel's a pastor now. He tells this story after Lee Strobel became a follower of Jesus and wrote about wrote some great books about following Jesus. One day, while he was still working at the newspaper, he decided that he was going to invite somebody to Easter Sunday. And so he's, he actually felt a prompting. If you're a Christian, maybe this happens to you. Every once in a while, you just feel this nudge, this kind of tug on your heart, like, is God telling me to do this? And he had this strong sense that God was saying, go into the next room, and that one guy, he's the only guy in the room, and that's, he's, an, he's an atheist, but invite him to Easter Sunday. <laughs> so he's like, he felt this full, full tug on his heart like it was from God. So he goes in the next room and he says to the guy, hey, I just want to invite you to come to my church on Easter. The guy goes, you know I don't believe that stuff. Those are myths. Those are fairy tales. I'm just, I'm not going to buy into that. I'm not interested. And he goes, well, I'm sorry. You know, you know where my desk is. You know, like, you know, if you ever want to talk about it, I'm over there. And then he left like with his tail tucked between his legs, feeling really defeated. And he thought, okay, what was that about? And he had no idea. Until a number of months later, he was at church, and a young man came up to him with a wife and a teenage boy. And he said, you probably don't know me, but I want to thank you for leading me to Christ. 
Strobel says, well, you're going to have to explain it to me because I don't believe I ever remember meeting you before. He goes, no, you really didn't meet me, but we were in the same room. He says, I was, uh, I was really having a, t- a tough time. I lost my job, and I was looking for some work, and I had a friend that said, well, up at the newspaper building, we need some tiles replaced, and we'll pay you if you go up to the newspaper building and you replace these tiles. He said, so one day, I was on my hands and knees replacing tiles, and I heard some dude talking about Jesus and inviting this other guy to church. And the other guy just turned him down flat. But he goes, but when I heard that, he says, I just felt a weight on my chest. I got up the next morning. I said to my wife and I said to my son, hey, we're going to church. They said, are you crazy? And he goes, maybe I am, but we're going to church. He goes, it changed my life. Now listen, some of you could say that. If I ask you to raise your hand, has Jesus changed your life? There would be, has Jesus changed your life? Raise your hand if Jesus changed your life. See what I'm saying? We got witnesses all over the building today. When people believe that Jesus Christ is alive, it changes their life. And we got millions of witnesses around the world and across time to prove that's true. So, so let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But let me give you the let me give you the backstory first. This is the story of Jesus resurrection version, but the backstory. So according to the Bible, the Bible teaches that God created everything and everyone everywhere, but the original world in the original world he had fellowship with the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. But then soon, however, the Bible teaches right away there was trouble in paradise, and sin broke the beautiful world. As beautiful as it was, and as orderly as it was, and as sweet as it was, with flowers and bird song and things to eat and beauty, it was broken because men and women rebelled against God. Now, God already had a plan on his heart to restore the earth and everything in it. And this plan would bring him honor and glory. It would be an epic plan. It would involve sending a conqueror, savior, deliverer, a kind of a, the, sending the cavalry down to earth. God himself coming in a human form to rescue the broken world. That's how the story goes. God already had that plan on his heart that he would send God in the flesh, Jesus Christ the Savior, and he came in the person of his son Jesus, and he lived, and he died, and he, and he loved people, and he blessed people, and he taught people, and he cleansed lepers, and he restored sight to the blind, and he made people that couldn't walk anymore walk, and his teaching was amazing. And he, he, was, he was spiritual, but he was also willing to directly oppose religious hypocrisy. And in opposing religious hypocrisy, it got him in some trouble. And yet that was not outside God's plan. Demons conspired to murder Jesus. Men, religious men and women conspired to murder Jesus, but it was really already in the heart of the plan of God for Jesus to come as a rescuer and to die in the place of sinners. And so God allowed his son Jesus to be crucified on a Roman cross. But we're here today because Jesus didn't just teach good things and do good things and claim good things and die for those good things. We're here today because Jesus made all those claims, said he was going to rise again on the third day, and he did it. And he said he was coming back, 
and he's going to do that too. Now, the Old Testament predicted the resurrection of Jesus Christ ahead of time. You can see this in Psalm 16. Jesus Christ himself predicted his own resurrection. Listen to this, Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and rise again on the third day. In a number of places when you read the gospel accounts, Jesus is telling his followers, they're going to kill me, but then I'm going to rise again, and then we're going to have an appointment. He was like making appointments after his death. And whenever he would say he was going to die, it was almost like his followers couldn't hear that. All they could hear is, no, 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 you're not going to die. And he was going, are you listening to me? I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. Then we're going to meet, and I'm going to have some assignments for you boys and girls. Jesus rose again with staggering manuscript evidence to support the historic veracity of the Bible claims. The Bible boldly declares that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And there were hundreds and hundreds of witnesses afterward in different times and in different places. It could have been like a one time. Did you see that? Was Elvis in a building? It wasn't like that. It was like Jesus ate with people, talked with people, went different places at different times, and met with different people at different places at different times. He appeared alive in these post-resurrection appearances. Some of the coolest reading ever in the history of mankind is the parts of the Gospels after Jesus died and after he was buried, and after he rose again, there are about 12 recorded post-resurrection appearances, and they're so cool to read. Like he's making breakfast for guys on the lake early in the morning when the sun is coming up. That would be cool to meet with somebody after they died and rose again, right? Or he's up on the mountain, and he says like, hey, you know the guy that died was crucified, and he was buried, and he rose again? He's going to be teaching on the mountain. Anybody want to go? Yeah, like I'm in. I'm going to hear the dead guy that rose again. I mean, he might have something interesting to say. This is what Jesus did. These are amazing stories. But they were also evidence of hundreds of people that saw him alive and went on. And some of these people who would never have lived for him and fled when he was captured, they were willing to be martyrs. They were willing to live martyrs. And they were willing to die. And many of them actually did die because they would not renounce the claim they had seen Jesus Christ alive again after he died. Do you understand this puts Christianity way beyond any kind of ethical system or religion or moral code? This is a claim that a man died and that he rose again and he's very God of very God and all the things that he said are true. If Jesus is alive, it puts a demand on our hearts, a, a blessed and a sweet demand and it, makes, it, it, it makes all kinds of pregnant promises to us. If Jesus is alive, then we know who God is. The Bible is true and all that Jesus said is true. And then after Jesus appeared alive to many, to hundreds, and many different places, he ascended back into heaven. He appeared for 40 days after his resurrection on earth. He gathered a cluster of his followers in a place called the Mount of Olives, not far from where some friends lived. And he went back to heaven after making promises that he would return. But before he left, he did something interesting. Jesus commissioned his followers to gather other followers. This was a key thing. He said, I'm going away, but I'm actually going to give you the Holy Spirit to live in you, and I want you to go out, and I want you to gather other followers. That's why Christians are so weird. That's why everybody wanted you to come to breakfast this morning because we just have this natural like, hey, I met a guy who was dead and he's alive now and he changed my life and I want you to meet him too. And you're like, all right, what's this all about? But he says, go into all the world, make other followers. That's what he did. 
Now, you might be thinking right now, okay, okay that's great. And by the way, and when the apostles, an apostle, the special use of the apostle, is a person that saw Jesus alive after he died and rose again, and he commissioned them to go. And their ap apostles means sent ones, or sent with a message. This is a message that, like, even if you were shy, you, I mean, shy people talk about good restaurants, am I right? Shy Michigan State fans, there are times they're not shy, am I right? Final four, are you listening to me, right? You know, there are times even shy people kind of find their voice. And when you meet somebody who was dead and he's alive again and he's full of good works and kind deeds and promises that are amazing, you'll be talking about that. And the apostles, they not only talked about it, wherever they went, little Jesus clusters sprung up. And why are we here today? Why is the house full today? Because Jesus clusters all throughout the centuries have been springing up all over the world because Jesus is alive and the people fill with the Holy Spirit. The lives are changed and there's a love that we have for him so these men and these women they went around the known world and they spread the truth about jesus the jesus story jesus groups became jesus churches and according to the bible there's some staggering promises that are made to people who believe that jesus rose again when they hear the story from somebody else now you might be thinking okay that's a great story i love hearing it where do i come in now i want to get to that where do you come in? Like, what does this have to do with me? Because it really does, think about it. If the Bible is true, and the story of the Bible is true, and the God of the Bible is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ really is God, and he really did die on the cross for our sins, and he really was buried, and he really did rise again, and he really is coming back, you, you understand, that's going to involve you and you and you and you. That's going to involve every single one of us. And it might be a really good idea if one day we're going to face the King of Kings and the Lord of Glory and, and we're going to have a resurrection of our own and we're going to have a judgment of our own. It might be a really good idea to be ready for that, to, to have thought that through a little bit. And so I just want to show you today just a couple of things that happen when, a, there, I could show you many, but I'll just show you three because pastors roll like that. I'm going to give you three things that happen when you believe that Jesus rose again. The Bible says if you believe that Jesus rose again, your sins will be forgiven. You, you believe that Jesus is who he said he is, the Savior of the world who died, was buried, and rose again for your sins. The Bible promises people who believe that, who trust that, their sins are forgiven and, and y'all look really good today. You dressed up really nice and all of that. But you know, the fact of the matter is all of us have kind of a dark past. Am I right? Anybody here without a dark past? Now we know you're a liar. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just like, there's nobody here that really wants all of their, you know, kind of like sad moments displayed on a screen for everybody to see. We have this guilt. We live with this burden of guilt. And this is the answer to the guilt burden. Jesus says, you know, it's me you sinned against. God says, it's me you sinned against, but my son, Jesus, paid for your sin. You want that deal or you don't want that deal? I'm like, I'm in. I want that deal. I want all my sins freely forgiven. That's what the Bible tells us. This is what, listen to what it says in, you know this, Romans 10, 9, right? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, You'll be saved. That's Bible talk for delivered from the penalty of your sin. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul's talking in this amazing thing about the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, he said, If Christ is not raised, your faith is empty, and you are still in your sins. And if you reverse that, what he's saying is, since Jesus is alive, your life is full of meaning, and you are not in your sins anymore. I told you, he said, that 
that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he Jesus said you will die in your sins people who don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead the Bible says when they die they die with their sin account open and they have to pay for their own sins and that means death and hell and separation from God I was a kid 17 walking through the parking lot of a store in the summer of the spring of the year and an elderly man was leaning against his car with the windows down listening to the Cincinnati Reds play baseball and I was trying to be an aggressive witness so I made a conversation with this man whose name was Arnold McFarland and I found out that he was a World War II veteran and I thanked him for his service and he didn't want to talk about that too much like a lot of veterans do. And then I began to talk to him about God and Jesus and the Bible and sin and all of that. And he said, I, I find that really, really hard to believe because he goes, I've done some things that I just can't even ever even talk about. I feel so guilty. And he had that idea like a lot of people do that, you know, you need to be religious and go to church a lot and be a do-gooder and let your do-gooder thing kind of overcome your bad things. And he wasn't sure that would ever happen. He didn't really understand the, the, the Bible story. And I, I, I was a kid, but somebody had taught me how to explain it to him. So I explained it to him. And then I said, well, why don't we just sit down and we'll talk. And we got in his car and we just sat there. Arnold McFarland, he's probably 65 years old. He seemed like he was ancient at the time, but he's probably a pretty young guy. And we were sitting there talking and I I explained that from, I had a little New Testament I got out of my car, and I still have his name written in my New Testament, and I still remember him sitting in that car, and tears were going down his face, and he goes, son, you have helped me so much right now. You have no idea, he told me, how much you've helped me. I have felt so guilty all my life, but not anymore. And I would call Arnold McFarland on the phone every once in a while and follow up on him to see how he was doing. Listen to me. You don't have to live guilty. You, don't, you, are, you are guilty, but you don't have to live guilty. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ died, and we know that God accepted the payment of his son on the cross because what happened? He rose from the dead. Amen? He rose from the dead so you can be forgiven. You don't have to live in your sins. That's a good thing. Second thing, if you believe, you can be transformed. The Bible teaches that you can change. You may change immediately. You may change over time, usually over time. But what the Bible teaches is that there was the power that raised Jesus from the dead. This is crazy cool. The power that raised Jesus from the dead works in Christians over time to bring the resurrection home to us and to change us, to transform us, to help us become more like Jesus ourselves. If you look in your Bible in, in Romans 6, there's this powerful passage, and it ties the resurrection together with power of God in the Christian life. I'm just going to read it to you. It's kind of staggering. What should we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized in his death? We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I know that sounds kind of mysterious, but he, you see what he's doing? He's tying Jesus' death to our death. He's tying Jesus' life to our life. It's kind of mysterious, but it's like God, God comes up to you and he says to you, I want you to know something. I raised my son Jesus from the dead. Do you believe that? And then you go, yeah, I do. Okay, so that if I raise my son, Jesus Christ, from the dead, I can give you life too. Do you believe it? Okay. I can change, if I can bring a man back from the dead, I can change you, you ragamuffin you. Like me? Yeah, I've worked with worse than you. 
I love this story. This guy was a total mess. And, and he was just full of, he'd done so many bad things that he couldn't even remember all of them. But he had this weird thing that would happen on Sunday. A friend of mine told me, he said on Sundays, and his wife was gone, he'd kind of chased her off. His kids didn't want to be around him. He didn't have any friends. He's just an old, broken guy full of guilt from things he'd done in his past. And he would get in his truck, though, on a Sunday morning, kind of drive around with some kind of tug on his heart. And there's this church, and it was, a ch- it was kind of a big church and a big parking lot. And we'd go off, and he'd park way over in the corner of the parking lot. This red truck, you know, he'd just sit there with that f- kind of floppy Vietnam hat on, off in the corner of the parking lot. And then week after week, he'd just go over and park in the corner of the parking lot. But he couldn't bring himself to get out of the truck and go in the church because that was for good people. What's interesting is this church had a unique thing they did. They had a bunch of guys and gals that were Harley people, and the Harley people ran the parking lot, which is kind of cool if you think about it. So all that we want to do that here someday. Harley people running the parking lot. It's like, hey, don't mess with these people. You know, like if they tell you to park a certain place, you just go there, right? Anyway, so they, but they were just like these sweet people that had and met the Lord, but it was the Harley people, the Harley Club thing, ran the parking lot. A couple of these guys see this guy parking out in the corner of the parking lot. After a while, they go out and they go, hey, what you doing, man? Guys, it seemed like you park here, but you never come. And he goes, oh, dude, I, I could never go to church. And the Harley guys are standing there looking at him like, and these are, these are hardened old sinners that got saved, right? And the Harley guys are looking at him, and they go, why can't you go in? And he goes, because of all the bad things I've done. They just start laughing. They're like, ha, ha, that's great. Come over here. They, they bring their friends over. Come over here. I will tell you. you tell me the bad things you've done. We'll tell you the bad things that we've done. Then we're going to all go in there together. And the guy's like, are you serious? The guy goes in. Gets his life totally turned around. Now he's an every Sunday worshiper because Jesus Christ can change people. Jesus Christ can transform people. Don't be discouraged. It may take longer than you think, but God is working on you. And how do we know that? Because if he can raise Jesus from the dead, this power can work in you. In Romans 6, that is very, very clear. Hope is my daughter, our daughter over here. She's the baby of our family. She uh, turned 20 yesterday, and we have a tradition where we go out for birthday breakfast, and it's gotten to be birthday brunch because I don't like getting up so early. And so, but yesterday we went to birthday brunch, and uh, we had a sweet time. And uh, while I was talking to her, I just look across the table, telling her how much I love her and how proud I am of her. I said, you know, what you like? What are your goals for the new year? And she's tell, she's a, wants to be a nail tech, and she wants to talk to other women and help them and encourage them while she's working on their nails. She said she has a friend, and uh, her friend read something on the internet that I had written to Hope, and her friend said, "You should really be glad you have a dad that loves you like that." My dad molested me. She says, "I call my stepdad my dad." Then he, she said, to get out of a bad situation, I got married. And then my husband abused me. And then I fled that marriage. And she said, and now she has a baby, has a boyfriend, and she's trying to put her life back together. I said, hope you keep doing her nails because that girl, Jesus, is her only hope in the world. I want to tell you, your circumstance might not be that hard or sad, but the answer is the same. Without Jesus Christ, you are hopeless. You are godless. You are helpless. You are guilty. You are lost. I don't care how gussied up you are. I don't care how much money you have. That doesn't make any difference when you meet a living God. Jesus Christ is the living God. He's the Savior of the world. And he's coming King and going to be the judge one day. And we're all going to stand before him. And you've heard the story here. So like you're without excuse, right? 
but you can be transformed if you believe. This is the third thing, and a final thing, if you believe, you can have, this is staggering. Promise God made is if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you can have eternal life. This is all over the Bible, but let me read you a couple verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter said this, according to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, how would you like to know, like some of you have your mother isn't here today because your mother is with the Lord. How many of you want to see your mother again? It's just that straightforward and simple. Do you see what I'm saying? After I die, do I see other believers again? Yes, if I believe that Jesus rose again, I will have eternal life. Anybody in the house feeling it because you're getting old, it's hard to sleep through the night, things ache, you know, you can't do stuff that you used to do. It's a little bit frustrating. You watch a young woman here, the young women here were dancing on Friday. I thought, I could never do that. It hurts to watch it. <laughs> I was up on a ski lift one time watching this kid in his prime 20-something dude, just all kinds of man on a snowboard, chewing up the mountain and thinking, uh, sad, like, I never could do that and I never will do that, but I have eternal life and one day God's going to replace my old knees. I'm going to be able to walk. I'm going to be able to run. I don't know. Maybe I'm going to be able to fly. Do you want, how many of you realize God could have made you so that you would never get old, but he, but he put that in you so that you would age, so it'd be like Grim Reaper knocking on the door every morning when you're shaving. You're going to die. Are you ready to die? I love you, bro. You ready to die? You know you're going to die. You're having a great time. Might get hit by a truck today. You, you ready? I'm serious. Are you ready? Like, we don't have to, I was like, okay. No, I don't die. I go to the place where my knees never get old. Ooh, hallelujah. I could slam dunk there. Never could. Well, I could on the kid thing at two, three feet, but I never could. You know, it's like, wow. Bible says this in 1 Corinthians, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead and was raised from the dead as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, which is kind of a cool, mysterious way of saying Jesus is just the first fruits because he's bringing a whole army of people with him from the dead. And that's going to be you and I if we believe. And the scriptures say, for as uh, in, in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by man came death, by man has also come the resurrection of the dead. I'm sitting on my porch one night. It's the summer of the year, and I'm out reading. I get a call from Joyce. Joyce is a faithful church member, but she has this pagan brother. Anybody here with a pagan brother? Like, if he's here right now, don't raise your hand. That'd be weird. You know, yeah, you got a pagan brother. And, and it says she's got, she's got this brother and Greg. And Greg was like, he went to Vietnam. He saw some stuff, kind of messed him up. He was not a good dude. He's, well, he's, you know, he's a good dude, but yeah, in his own special kind of good. And, uh, and so he kind of rough life. Definitely not the guy that showed up at church a lot. And, and, but, but she said, I wonder if you'd come over and talk to my brother Greg because Greg has cancer and he wants to be baptized before he dies. Which to a pastor is code for, here's a guy now who's given some thought to facing God and instead of rebelling and hardening himself against God, he's going, I need to talk about this. So I got on my bike, it was Saturday night, I just got on my bike, it was in my neighborhood and I rode over and I went in and talked to Greg Dameron. And I sat with Greg, 
and he was the sweetest guy, this gorgeous big old beard like this. It was like way down here. It was an enviable work of art. And he had a, a really cool story. He's a sweet, colorful guy. He's real tenderhearted. He's really humble. I asked him if he believed in Christ. He goes, you know, I, I do, but I haven't really lived for the Lord any time in my lifetime. But I kind of think maybe that was wrong. And I'm like, let's talk about that. Greg started coming to church. He got the chemo and everything fell out. His beautiful beard fell out. His hair fell out. Here's what was weird. The man was dying of cancer. But it seemed like every week he came to church, he had a bigger smile on his face. We arranged, after he came to believe in Jesus Christ, we arranged to baptize him, and he was determined to be baptized. And he had a colostomy. It's a very difficult thing to be baptized with all of that stuff. I remember that we were in the back in the changing room getting ready to be baptized. I was putting my robe on, and he was getting dressed. He was like giddy like a schoolgirl. He was like, oh, man, this is awesome. This is great. I'm just happy. Because I know that doesn't make sense to some of you right now, but when you follow Jesus, some kind of happiness starts to happen. Like, what? Joy that's like you can't get at Disney World. It's just like, hmm, what is this thing? And I remember baptizing Greg Dameron, and I remember him just joyful laughter. He's like, man, I need to hold it down. Well, he died. His sister said, Pastor, we don't want to have a big funeral. You know, he's a plain guy. He didn't want to have a big thing. He's going to put his ashes in the ground over here by the cemetery. And it's over by my house. And they go, Mia, if you want to drop by, you can. And I'm like, okay. So I didn't dress up or anything. I just threw an old jacket on, a pair of jeans. And I was going to ride my bike over. I thought, well, I'll just drive my Jeep over. I drove my Jeep over to the cemetery. And I was a little surprised when I got there because there was like 50 people there all gathered around. And when I got there, I walk up and they go, here's the pastor. Pastor, could you say a few words? I'm like, could I have a little preparation ahead of time? That might have been nice. But I just go, well, hey, yeah. And so I did my best to talk about Greg. And here's what happened. It was kind of cool. He had his sisters there and some people that kind of had known him. But he had a branch of the family that had driven in from a long way away. They were all over here in one place. And what they knew about Greg was just that he didn't know God, didn't love God, didn't serve God, didn't follow God, didn't believe in God. What they didn't know is that in the last few months of his life, he'd come to be a sincere follower of Jesus. They didn't know it. I didn't know they didn't know it. So I'm just innocently telling his story, and all of a sudden, they're just coming apart over here. They're just weeping. They're laughing. I'm like, those people know Jesus, and they didn't know that he knew Jesus. And they were coming to the funeral guy they thought went to hell, but he didn't go to hell. He went to heaven. He had eternal life, not because he's a religious dude all of his life, but because he got in under the wire of God's mercy because Jesus Christ said he could, and you can too. How cool is that? This is what, these are just some of the promises. Jesus says to Mary and Martha, remember Martha and her brother Lazarus died and Jesus kind of raised him from the dead, which was cool. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, whoever believes in me, even if he dies, he will live again. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never really die. And then he says, do you believe this? And I want to know, do you believe that? Like, really, do you believe that Jesus Christ... I, I don't care if your mama took you to church. I mean, that's really cool and all, but what really matters is, do you believe that Jesus is the son of the living God? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is coming back someday? Do you believe that one day you will answer to God, but that you can answer to God through Jesus Christ and be under his mercy? That's kind of important. He's the living God. We stand before him as a judge. Listen to what Romans 14 says. None of us lives to himself None of us dies to himself. You might think, I'm here, I'm my own man, I'm my own woman, I do what I want to do, and I don't answer anybody. I the Bible says that isn't true. You, every one of us 
answers to God. You don't live to yourself, and the Bible says you don't die to yourself. Here's what the Bible says. We live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are in the Lord's hands. We are the Lord's. To this end, Christ died and lived again. Did you hear it? To this end, this is why Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and the living. You are living now. You're not always going to be living, but Jesus is always going to be in control. He's going to be always the master, always the Lord of your fate. If the Bible's true, and it is, God is God, and he is Jesus is the king of the universe. He died and he really did rise again. We don't have the option of just kind of adding him to things that we think are, you know, sentimental, nice things. The Bible says that in these uh, post-resurrection appearances that people did some incredible things. One of them up on the mountain, it says he met them on the mountain after he came back to life again. And when people saw him, obviously, the Bible says, and they worshiped him. And in the Bible, what that means is they went plunk down on their face, like down and like, oh, which is what you would do if you had any sense. And Jesus walked in the room. It's like, ah, boom, you're on your face. But then there's this other piece. There's a little word there, and it's so true to life. It says, but some, you know what it says? Many worshiped him, but some what? Anybody know? Some doubted. Like, and I bet you there are some people in the house today that are like that. You're like, man, I want to believe that, but I, I, I don't know. I'm afraid to believe that, but I... I'm not sure. I, I want to worship, but I have, a, I have a little knot of doubt in my soul. Here's the beautiful thing. Jesus tells a story about a guy who wanted his son healed, and, and he says, I, if you believe, your son will be healed. And the guy says to Jesus, I believe. Remember this? I believe. Help my unbelief. That's so cool. That's in the Bible. Jesus then heals his son with as much belief as he had. The, the, what I'm getting at is this. You're allowed to say to God, God, I want to believe that. I believe. I also have this chunk of unbelief. Are you going to help me with this? Yes, I'll help you with this. Jesus told another story about your faith. You don't have to have impressed God with the size of your faith. Look how big my faith is. I'm a really faithful. No, just bring a little mustard seed of faith. It's like, okay, I'm jumping off the diving board, God. I'm trembling here, but I'm making the leap. I'm, I'm going to trust you with my life, with my, with my future, with my sins, with my hurts and my past, with my addictions, with my mess, with my brokenness. I'm, I, I, I believe that if you're the king of the universe, if you can raise your son Jesus from the dead, you can, you can help me with whatever problem I have. So let me ask you this. If you had been there, would you have believed? Think about that. If you watched him die, if you saw him rise again, if you saw him in his post-resurrection appearances, would you, would you believe? And, it's, and you have to understand, it's a little bit more complex than that. It always is. It's not quite that simplistic. It's like, because when you say, yes, I believe, that assumes you're saying, if I believe you are the son of the living God, I owe you my lifetime absolute obedience, loyalty. We're saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works. Once we receive the gift of God, we're possessed by the Holy Spirit. And he's our king and our master and our Lord, and we do whatever he says. Is that true about you? Jesus is alive, king of the universe. Do you believe him? Will you follow him? Okay, so now, here's what we have planned here in our church for you. And um, I want you to understand this carefully tomorrow morning I come back to work here what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to my study I'm going to start working on a guide to help you 
follow Jesus. A little book. We're going to pass out this book for you next week. We're going to start a series of messages. It's based on the teaching of Jesus, the core teaching of Jesus about what does it look like to be a Jesus follower. We're calling it Jesus People. Because this is a decision about Jesus you don't want to make swiftly. You want to make it slowly and carefully. You want to count the cost. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? What does Jesus say his followers believe and do? I want to invite you to come back. We'll give you this little guidebook, this kind of like trail guide for following Jesus. And you can take your Bible, you can take your little book or your pen or your pencil, and over the next six weeks, we'll have a swift moving series that goes through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and it identifies this is what Jesus' people do. This is what people who believe in Jesus, how, what they believe, what they, what, how they live. We're going to talk about that. Imagine a place where people really do obey the commands of Jesus. Imagine a people who really are Jesus followers, not religious pains in the butt, but religious, but, but spiritually minded followers of what Jesus said, living in the sweet power of the Holy Spirit. That'd be cool. So here's what I want you to do. You pray about it, and you think about it. And like you, you say... A lot of you in the house today are loyal Jesus followers. And if you're a loyal Jesus follower, I am too. Wouldn't you say, it'd be a good idea for me to refresh my following and say, let me take another close look at how well I'm following, how close I'm following, some areas of following that need to be. And if you haven't been a follower of Jesus yet, some of you might be here, you want to say, I'm not really sure I'm a follower of Jesus. That's okay. Come back work with us. You can watch them online if you're not here. You live a long way away. A correspond with you personally if you like. We're going to give you this little book, this little booklet that's like a journal and it's going to have some material in it, some stuff that helps you. You can go out in your truck, you can go out in your car, out on your porch and you can just quietly read the things Jesus said and you can think about your own life and you consider should I become a follower of Jesus Christ? And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, should, my, should I tighten up reassess my following of Jesus. I'm so glad you came today. We want to sing. I want to hear your voices. Can I just ask you this, like a little self-indulgence? Let's do this. Let's raise our voices to God in one last, this beautiful resurrection song. Let's go ahead and turn the volume up, maybe yeah, twice as loud as we normally sing. Let's just savor the sound of saints who believe in Jesus declaring their faith. Stand up and we're going to pray. Stand up and we're going to pray. And then we're going to sing this final song and we'll say happy Easter and let you go home. Father in heaven, thank you that you sent your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our 